Welcome everyone. You're listening to an episode of Save Me an Isle Seat. I'm Katie and I'm joined by my fellow musical enthusiasts, Amber and Kylie. Hello. Hello. Also joining us is our musical newbie, Matt. Howdy. No, this is not a Western. <laughs> oh. No. <laughs> It'd be interesting if it was, though. Do you have a, Do you have an intro for, like, the 1830s? Good evening. <laughs> Dracula, which is also a musical, which we will cover, by the way. Oh, really? Yes. Anyway. <laughs> This week, we're going over uh, yet another bloody musical, because we love those so much. This one is Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street, which I love. Yeet. And I'm so excited. Why do you love murder so much? What? <laughs> <laughs> so this musical has a little bit of everything. It's got, you know, a love story. It's got murder. It's got betrayal. And it's got, you know, gross old guys, which we seem to cover a lot. In our music. It's our theme. Like I said, they've existed for all of time. Yes. You cannot get rid of them. It's a common trope, unfortunately. So yeah, so the so Sweeney Todd is on our Spotify, and the way I did it this time is I have the original Broadway cast recording in the playlist, as well as the the movie, which happens to have Johnny Depp as Sweeney Todd in there, and that one is also in there, which I believe is also on Netflix. So if you want to actually watch this one, it's a great rendition of it. I do recommend. Giant I've Depp is... seen that. Yes, I made Matt watch it with me. Good. So let's uh, jump into some background on Sweeney Todd. It is a bit of an older uh, show. So Sweeney Todd was actually first published in a serialized Victorian popular fiction and these were called Penny Dreadfuls of the time. So the original story was called The String of Pearls and was published in the winter of 1846-47. The way it was promoted made it imply that this was based on a true story, but there has literally been no proof whatsoever that Sweeney Todd was a real person. So just forget all that. Don't even worry about it. But at the time, like, that's probably really easy to, to do. Oh, absolutely. Like, nowadays we have the internet to, like, check on stuff and see if things are real. But that time, it was just, like, all word of mouth. Yeah, but even back then, people weren't really concerned about this being a real person. Because there was, like, so much other stuff, real stuff going on. They didn't, you know, they didn't really care about this. But it was actually so widely popular that it was turned into a play before the end of the story was even published. Which is... Gotta be awesome for the author. That's really weird. Yeah. But super cool. So it had an expanded edition that appeared in 1850, and an American version was made in 1852. And then it was made into a brand new play in 1865. So it had quite a run of plays in its time, and it was a pretty pretty early show, so that's pretty cool. In 1973, Christopher Bond turned it into a 1973 spooky melodrama, which definitely added Ooh. more of the the macabre to the actual story. If you can add more to a murderous barber. But he did. And this version is what actually inspired Stephen Sondheim to start working on a musical version after he saw the production played live, which is super cool. So Sondheim had this to say of the show. It had weight to it because Bond, who wrote it, wrote certain characters in blank verse. He also infused into it plot elements from Jacobian tragedy and the Count of Monte Cristo. He was able to take all these disparate elements that had been in existence rather dully for a hundred and some odd years and make them into a first-rate play, which <laughs> feels like pretty pretty amazing praise for, you know, what it was. And so he was just, like, super inspired by, you know, this whole story. So he also liked... What does writing in blank verse mean? It is a type of prose. I'm not very familiar with older English terms. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, so I don't know off the top of my head. Blank verse is a literary device defined as an unrhyming verse written in iambic pentameter. In poetry and prose, it has a consistent meter with 10 syllables in each line, a pentameter, where unstressed syllables are followed by stressed one, five of which are stressed but do not rhyme. So, okay. complicated. I mean, I've heard all that other stuff. Yeah. I just didn't know. So, like Shakespeare, basically. That was like the terminology for it. Yeah. So Sondheim was basically like, this dude took English that has literally existed for a long, long time, and he turned it into something new and fresh, which is pretty neat. 
Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well. So Sondheim felt that adding music would increase the dramatic elements of the play, going on to say, What I did to Chris's play is more than enhance it. I had a feeling it would be a new animal. The effect it had at Stratford East in London and the effect it had at the Eurus Theatre in New York are two entirely different effects, even though it's the same play. It was essentially charming over there because they don't take Sweeney Todd seriously. Our production was larger in scope. Hal Prince gave it an epic sense and a sense that this was a man of some size instead of just a nutcase. The music helps give it to that dimension. So it's basically going into like... Sweeney Todd is a dangerous character with a lot more backstory than the previous renditions gave him credit for. As opposed to just him being some psycho that's killing, he actually has a character. Yeah, and in the movie, it almost felt like he was like some otherworldly force. Right. Where it's just like, I don't know, he was just on this like vendetta. He's he's got his path, man. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's where else is. I also watched the film. And that can actually, you know, add a lot more dramatic yeah. sense to everything. So yeah, yeah. Which I I did I didn't find any of a Sondheim's views on the movie. I didn't particularly look for it, but I feel like he would appreciate it because he he imagined this world as such a large large thing, and the movie was able to express that a little further. Uh-huh. And so, since he was so behind this musical aspect of it he the the musical is actually set 80 percent to music which for a musical is pretty is pretty high it's almost to the level of operatic in a way where like so musicals have breakage so they can have dialogue in between songs whereas operas are continuously set to music but this one almost crosses into the line of operatic because it just has so much music which is fantastic because it lets you hear the story without any question of what's going on. And this is the only time before or since that Sondheim utilized music in such an exhaustive way. So I don't know <laughs> what exactly it was about Sweeney Todd. <laughs> he was just feeling it. But he just he just went for it. And I honestly think this is probably one of my favorite of his works. I really like... Well, I'm just a fan of the macabre anyway, and putting it to music is great. <laughs> so, <laughs> She's a spooky girl. They like the spook. So when Sondheim actually first brought up the idea for the show to director Harold Price, Price wasn't interested, thinking it wasn't very structurally interesting, which I kind of get where he's coming from if he just went by the original play because it was just some dude murdering. But he discovered a metaphor set to set the show to, so this is what he viewed the show could be. And so he said it to the Industrial Revolution and an examination of the human condition, which was an interesting take on it. And Sondheim went on to say about this that um, Hal's metaphor is that the factory turns out Sweeney Todd's. It turns out soulless, defeated, hopeless people. That's what the play's about to him. Sweeney Todd is a product of that age. I think it's not. Sweeney Todd is a man bent on personal revenge, the way we all are in one way or another, and it has nothing whatsoever to do with the time he lived in, as far as I'm concerned. While Sondheim didn't agree with Price's vision, he accepted it as a different view, knowing it would get the show produced on a large scale, as opposed to having it be small and possibly unnoticed. So he took, yeah, like, so he took, like, it's, it's very hard when you have a vision for something to let someone turn it into a different view, and it's... Definitely. It's very hard to go through that, but he he knew that his show had to see a larger audience, so he stepped back and actually allowed this other creator to take his way with it, which is very big of him. <laughs> so Sondheim sought out Angela Lansbury for the role of Miss Lovett, thinking she would bring some much-needed comedy to the grim tale, which is fair. She's oh, yeah. amazing. She's amazing. However, Lansbury originally declined, not liking that she would be like a minor side character. But then Sondheim wrote songs specifically for her, so he basically auditioned the role to her. Uh, one of which was the macabre patter song, A Little Priest. In the end, Lansbury accepted the role, ended up loving the show and her role in it. Sondheim also sat out Len Cariou to play Sweeney Todd, who was in singing lessons at the time. He eventually accepted that role, and then 
Uh, since Prince was mostly busy putting together such a mammoth production, Lansbury and Carrie were left mostly to develop the characters on their own. The way Miss Lovett is portrayed in other adaptations is all attributed to the way that Lansbury created her to be, which is amazing. Yeah, so they Talk were basically given creative... Role. Right. They were given creative freedom with these roles, and... I was even watching an interview with Lynn Carriou from a Broadway convention, which I didn't know existed, by the way, from this year. And even now, they introduce him as Sweeney Todd. They're like, here's Sweeney Todd, Lynn Carriou. Like, that is what he is known for. Also, I do want to just throw out there that Lynn Carriou and Angela Lansbury are still doing things. They... They are well in age and they are still... He's still Sweeney Todd. He's still Sweeney Todd. <laughs> actually, he's he does he's a lot of actually TV stuff. But Angela Lansbury was in a Broadway production. I think it was last year. It was a like a, a, like a one, one-time event. Hmm. A memorial or something. I don't remember what the actual thing was. But they're still, they're still doing what they love to do, which is very interesting. Hmm. Huh. And if you guys can't tell, I'm really excited about the show because I'm talking really fast. (laughs) (laughs) I like this one a lot. So on some of the productions. So the original Broadway production was from March 1st, 1979 to June 29th, 1980. Overall, it had 557 performances and 19 previews. And the main cast, of course, had Angela Lansbury as Mrs. Lovett, Lynn Carreyou as Sweeney Todd, Victor Garber as Anthony, Sarah Rice as Joanna, Merle Luis as the beggar woman, Ken Jennings as Tobias, Edmund Lindeck as Judge Turpin, Joaquin Roma Guerrera as Pirelli, Jack Eric Williams as Beetle Bamford. And for this rendition, Dorothy Ludon and George Hearn replaced Lansbury and Cario on March 4th, 1980. But the those two were in the main roles the majority of the time. And this show was actually nominated for nine Tony Awards, winning eight of those, including Best Musical. Nice. Yeah, it's, that's pretty a big honor. I mean, I'm really yep. not surprised. Yeah. No, it had... It's, it's a great story. It's a great story. You know, they brought such life to the characters, and they had a great, they had a great cast. So the first national tour started October 24th, 1980, and ended August 1981. This version was taped and broadcast on September 12th, 1982, and was repeated in various forms, uh, which I believe you can still find. I didn't search too hard for them. But I think you can still find them online. And the v- they have a VHS version out there floating around. This version was nominated for five Primetime Emmy Awards in 1985, winning three of those nominations. So that's pretty neat. A North American tour started February 23rd, 1982, and ended July 17th, 1982. So its original London production opened July 2nd, 1980, and closed November 14th, 1980. It ran for 157 performances. And despite receiving mixed reviews, the production won the Olivier Award for Best New Musical in 1980, which is super cool. And it must have done something really, really right because it kept going back to London after that. I mean, it's set in London, so I'm not super surprised. So in 1989, it had a Broadway revival, which was from September 14th, 1989 to February 25th, 1990. They ran for 189 performances and had 46 previews. This production was actually designed for a smaller venue and was affectionately referred to as Teeny Todd, which I think is adorable. Yeah, Teeny Todd. And this one, it did receive four Tony Award nominations, but unfortunately didn't win any. In 1993, it had a London revival that ran from June 2nd, 1993 to June 1st, 1994. And this one was altered slightly to fit a proscenium arch theater. And it won Olivia Awards for Best Musical Revival, Best Actor in a Musical, and Best Actress in a Musical, which is super cool. And then in 2004, it had another London revival, which ran from July 27th, 2004 to February 5th, 2005. And this version had no orchestra. Hmm. Having the 10-person cast play the score themselves on musical instruments they carried on stage. And this went on to tour the UK in 2006. So I don't know how they did this. I'm just imagining Sweeney Todd killing somebody and playing a tuba at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Killed him with the tuba. Yeah, I... You can actually find a different version of this one online. I did see that there was uh, some clips from it, so I'm curious to check that out because I can't picture it in my head of how that works. I feel like it would be so distracting. Yeah, Yeah, right? 
Like, this, the whole point of the orchestra is to be out of the way so you still get the ambiance without them being late. Unless, like, the only people playing instruments are, like, people that aren't in the scene. Yeah. And they're just, like, off to the side. That's the only thing that makes sense, but I don't know. We'll have to check that out. You can only have a maximum of two people in a scene at once. Right. Like, then how do you have consistent music playing versus... And then singing, too. Dialogue and singing and... I don't know. What the heck? It's confusing. Yeah. I mean, in in Sweeney Todd, for, like, most of the stuff... There's maybe only like two or three characters singing in a lot of the scenes or singing. So that would leave seven people to play instruments. That's still not a lot. And you'd have to know those instruments too. I mean, they probably got people that like. Yeah. Like actors, singers that also play an instrument, a very specific instrument that's needed for the orchestra. I don't know. And you gotta know to play multiple instruments, I would imagine too, right? Probably. They probably have like an accordion and the cymbals attached to their knees so they can have percussion. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna be the guy with the triangle in the corner. Ding ding. Ding. Good. Well this definitely seems like one of those shows that like plays for a few months, disappears for a few years, and then comes back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it does. So after the London revival, there was a Broadway revival in two thousand five. So that ran from November third to September third in two thousand six. That's actually Really long run. Yeah, just under a year. Yeah. It ran for 349 performances and had 35 previews. It was nominated for six Tony Awards and won two of them. Ooh. So Best Direction of a Musical and Best Orchestrations. Pretty With cool. that number of performances, they were almost... They were almost like a performance a day Yeah. on that, yeah. right? Well, and this one kept the cast as the musicians thing. So, Why? I don't, that sounds I don't so awful. I, I don't know, man. Everyone thought it was but cool. But I got two Tony Awards for it, <laughs> yeah, so... Apparently, if you want to win awards, do a... Some weird... A Sweeney Todd revival. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I don't know. In 2012, there was another West End revival. Uh, <laughs> September 24th, 2011 to November 5th, 2011. And it started Michael Ball and Imelda Staunton. Then it ran from March 10th, 2012 to September 22nd, 2012. This revival had the show set in the 1930s instead of the 1840s. So that's, that's really quite weird. a big jump there as far as setting. Jason Manford, who currently is starring in Curtains, made his musical debut in this production as Pirelli. I thought that was super neat because Curtains is, you know, going right now. Mm-hmm. And then it, this show received six Lawrence Olivier Award nominations and won three of them. <laughs> won three of them. Best Musical Revival, Best Actor in a Musical, and Best Actress in a Musical. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And then Sweeney Todd has had a bunch of other productions as well. And I think it's on this summer's Muni list. I think so. So if things ever open back up we might get to see it yeah if it if the if it maintains its course about what they're projecting it to be we should be able to go because it should open up in july but no it i think it was going to be on this year's oh was it one of the ones that was cut yeah darn it i know because i really maybe next year then maybe next year but it better be next year you might have to fight somebody I wonder I wonder if since it like started off so hot, maybe it just draws like really good actors and stuff like that, and that's why it wins all these awards. Yeah. Cause like people are like, Oh, Sweeney Todd, like I gotta Okay, give me some of that. Mm-hmm. So... Also the songs in it are just like really good and I feel like just help emphasize a lot of the a... yeah. actors and actresses like strengths and stuff. It does. Very powerful songs. So now that we got that background out of the way, let's go ahead and uh, slice our way into Act 1. Boo. Hey. hey. I'm leaving this podcast. Mm. No, you're not. Bye. I think you threatened <laughs> that once every show, and it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, none of us have left. I didn't, I, I don't think I threatened to leave on the ones that I'm running. <laughs> no, but we did, because you did bad puns. That's yes. true. It's going to be a one-man every show. Every show, someone threatens to leave. Yes. Someone, someone has, has been fired. Yes. Has been fired a lot. Well, uh, you've been fired. I've been fired, fired once. You. Yeah. From editing. Yes, but I edited that out, so. Me yeah. and Amber are good. <laughs> actually, I don't think I did edit that out. I think it's oh. actually in our episode. <laughs> Amber, 
We need to talk about your language. Uh, <laughs> you're fired. Listen, you're fired. Kylie told me to curse more. Oh, so. That is true. Okay. Yep. Did Did you record that? Yeah, it's in one of them. Uh-huh. Anyway. So in Act 1, so we jump into Act 1 with the citizens of London, who act as a Greek chorus throughout the play. They uh, are dropping a body bag, and they pour some ashes into a shallow grave. And um, Sweeney Todd just kind of, like, rises forth, just like a demon. And this is the, the ballad of Sweeney Todd. And he goes about to introduce the drama. So this is, like, the prologue sort of kind of ideal. Weird. I know. I gotta see that. <laughs> so the year is 1846, and a young sailor, Anthony Hope, has befriended Sweeney Todd, whom he had rescued from the sea. So I don't know how that happened, but he just found a body in the water and was like, yo, this dude's alive, I guess. I, too, find bodies in the water. Amber, do we need to talk about your uh, (laughs) side activities? (laughs) Not a good place to put them. No, it's not. So they have arrived at a dock in London where Todd and Hope have different views of the city in a song called No Place Like London. So Sweeney Todd's like, London is stupid. It's full of all the people that are you know, worse than the worst, and they're just the scum of the earth, and it's terrible, and Hope's just like, this is great! This is the best city I've ever been to! London equal bad. Yes. London is death. So, uh, a beggar woman solicits them, appearing to recognize Todd for a moment before he shoes her away. He's like, get out of here, you stinky old woman. (laughs) And before continuing, Todd tells Hope a bit about his past, telling him about how he had a beautiful wife and a beautiful daughter once. And their happiness was ruined by a judge who lusted after Todd's wife. And this song is The Barber and His Wife. And you learn that, yeah, the judge just wanted the beautiful wife and wanted to ruin their family and everything. I wanted a pretty woman. Give me the lady. So Todd leaves Anthony and enters a meat pie shop on Fleet Street. There he meets Mrs. Lovett, a widow, and the owner of the shop. And she laments about her lack of customers due to her lack of meat and just not being a good cook. Yep, it's definitely on her. It's, def- it's definitely on her. <laughs> also, um, if you watch the film, do not watch it with like an appetite or something, because that will be gone. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, the song is Worst Pies in London. So she knows 100% that she's her business is failing because she's terrible. When Todd inquires about the empty apartment that is above her shop, she says she doesn't rent it because people think it's haunted because of what happened there in the past. And she tells him about her former tenant, Benjamin Barker, who had a beautiful wife who was coveted by a judge who had Barker transported on false charges. The judge, with help from his servant, Beetle Bamford, lured Barker's wife, Lucy, to the judge's home where he raped her. And the song is Poor Thing. And the way the song describes it is he managed to do this in front of a bunch of people at a masquerade party. And no one helped her. So definitely really sad. And so she also she also tells him that after this ordeal, the wife poisoned herself because she just couldn't handle what happened to her. And based on Todd's reaction to the story, Mrs. Lovett knows that he is Benjamin Barker. She promises to <sighs> keep his secret and tells him how Lucy poisoned herself and their then infant daughter, Joanna, became the judge's ward. So Joanna is still alive. Sweeney Todd vows to get revenge on the judge and a beetle. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) B-E-A-D-L-E. Yes. Um, Miss Lovett presents Todd with his old collection of sterling silver straight razors, which persuades Todd to murder people. I mean, mean. take up his old barber profession in the old apartment above the meat pie shop. Yes. So so we get the songs My Friend and The Ballad of Sweeney Todd reprise. And he definitely views the, the razors almost as a separate entity which is interesting. He calls them his friends and he's there like an extension of his arm and now he's complete it's again having creepy. them in his possession. He's really into them. He's super into them. Yep. Yep, it's weird. And Mrs. Lovett, it's fine. Yeah, Mrs. Lovett's just kind of like, okay. <laughs> nice. I kept them for you. This is fine. <laughs> I mean, props to her because like, oh, yeah, she yeah. could have sold them for a lot of money, but... Yes. And she kept them. Mm-hmm. Anthony, elsewhere in London, spots a beautiful girl singing at her window song Greenfinch and Linnet Bird. The beggar woman tells him that her name is Joanna. <gasps> Gasp. Drama. Drama. But that Anthony should stay away from her because she is 
with the judge. Judge kind of took her on as his ward, right? So might not want to get with the judge's girl. That's would make him angry. But of course, Anthony is immediately enamored, sings, ah, miss, and doesn't know that she's actually Todd's daughter. So a lot of things that should keep him from this woman, but not going to. (laughs) He promises to come after her, even after the judge and Beetle threaten him and chase him away in the song Joanna. Joanna. Yeah, I like this song, (laughs) actually. Yes. It's very, like, soft and deep. A lot of the songs in these aren't, like, show-tunesy, like, get-you-upbeat and jumping around. No, Um, These are very, like, somber, sad songs for the most part. So you might find yourself, like, humming the, like, light tune to it, but you're not, like, you know... Oh my god, oh my god, you guys. Like, it's it's very different. <laughs> very much yes. so. There's a definite mood here, mm-hmm. and it is nothing like Legally Blonde. <laughs> nothing at all. <laughs> or, or any of the cannibal. other musicals we've covered, honestly. This one is definitely just a its own, like, genre of musical. Like, it's mm-hmm. just... It's sad boy hours, alright? That's just, <laughs> that's just how you describe these yes. songs. Yes. Definitely. Also, in the London marketplace, the flamboyant Italian barber Adolfo Pirelli, his simple-minded assistant, Tobias Rag, are pitching a cure-all for hair loss in the song Pirelli's Miracle Elixir. And I, Is it going to work? I did want to throw in there. But. In the movie, they actually have Tobias played by a young boy as opposed to a simple-minded young adult, which I actually prefer. It makes him seem more... Yeah. Of his own character, as opposed to just bumbling along. Todd and Lovett arrive with the intent to establish Todd a new identity. So they expose the elixir as a sham, and Todd challenges Pirelli to a shaving match. Because that's how I entertain my friends. Todd wins by a landslide in the song of the contest. Beetle, who is in attendance, is totally impressed and invites Todd to give him a free shave in the song The Ballad of Sweeney Todd, reprised too. So yeah, so they're going out to get him a new identity as an established barber to hopefully like lure in Beetle and the judge and stuff. And they I, do that by making a stink. I really liked it in the in the movie because the the fakes, you know, he's like bragging and boasting the entire time he's doing a shave, and Sweeney's just like taking his time with everything, <laughs> and like what the the Italian does in like the whole span of the thing. Sweeney does in, like, a span of a second, like, Mm -hmm. when the camera pans away. (laughs) And it's just, I don't know, it's just very entertaining. Yeah, and in the musical, he actually shaves, they they do two people to prove that, like, Mm -hmm. it wasn't, like, some cheap thing. So, yeah, (laughs) very much fighting each other. So several days later, flagellates himself, not flagellates himself. (laughs) It's completely different. That's from the Shrek. That's from the Shrek one. Which, uh means he whips himself, which is a disciplinary act, and he's trying to basically beat out his newfound lust for Joanna as she grows into a young woman. Gross. Yes. But his eventual cure for this is he's like, well, I'm just going to marry her. Because that'll make it okay. He's an old man. A dirty old man. And this song is Joanna Mea Culpa. And this song is actually cut out of a lot of renditions because it is super gross. Creepy. And creepy. It's, yeah, it's definitely not in the... In the movie, he doesn't whip himself, but I think the song's in there. Also, speaking of the star-studded movie cast, I mean... this Alan is Rickman. Alan Rickman, so... He does great as a creepy old guy. Definitely. So, Todd is growing impatient, waiting for Beetle to arrive, and Mrs. Lovett attempts to soothe him in the song Wait. She's like... Just relax. You know, it'll happen and you can enjoy it more. And spend time with me. Mm-hmm. And you'll enjoy it more if we just wait. <laughs> Please don't leave me. Don't leave me. <laughs> so when Anthony tells him of his plan to rescue Joanna, Todd agrees to help, eager to meet his daughter. And he agrees to let them use his barbershop as a safe house. As Anthony leaves the shop, Pirelli and Tobias enter and Mrs. Lovett takes Tobias downstairs for a pie. I like pie. I like the pie. Nasty pie. Pirelli drops his accent and reveals himself to be Daniel O'Higgins, which was Benjamin Barker's former assistant. So, whoops. (laughs) 
So Pirelli knows Todd's true identity and demands that he gets half of his new income to keep his life secret. So um, instead, Todd kills Pirelli, slitting his throat and hiding him in a trunk in his room. As one does. This is Pirelli's death in the Ballad of Sweeney Todd reprise three. So he's like, I'm not going to be blackmailed. Yeah, Sweeney doesn't mess around. Mm -mm. You didn't take crap from nobody. Yeah, and this is like the first time you see him do this. And even he's like, oops. I kind of like that, though. That was all right. <laughs> that solves some issues. It does solve some issues. He's like, mm, did I like that? Yes. Meanwhile, Joanna and Anthony plan their elopement in the song Kiss Me. So they're like singing through the window at each other. It's adorable and weird. At the same time. Beetle suggests that the judge get a shave from Todd to better win Joanna's affections. And this is ladies and their sensitivities. So he's like, well, maybe she didn't say yes to your marriage proposal. Maybe she was repulsed only because you're a little stinky right now. And that's you why. have some stubble on your beard and stuff like that. So he's, he's like, like, just go I shave. know a guy. I know a guy. The best one. Mrs. Lovett comes to learn of Pirelli's murder and is initially panicked. But she does swipe his coin purse, because, you know, money, and asks what they're going to do with the body. So after she panics, she relaxes and is like, we've got to figure this out. And uh, the judge enters, so the body has to stay in the trunk. And it's this really tense moment of this dude and a dead body in the same room and trying not to reveal there's a dead body in the room. So that's kind of interesting. But Todd is focused on the judge. And he quickly seats the judge and lulls him in with a relaxing conversation in the song Pretty Women. So he's like, you know, oh, you're just, you're just getting all dolled up and you're, it's for a girl. And he doesn't know who it's for, of course. Before Todd can kill the judge, Anthony bursts in, blurting out the elopement plan. Oops. Oops. You big oops. Oopsie daisies. Yeah. The judge vows never to return and that he is going to send Joanna away. So he leaves and storms off and Todd is just super pissed off because his revenge was literally in his grasp. So he rages at Anthony and drives him out, reminded of the evil in London and how everyone deserves to die. And the song is Epiphany. And he basically goes on about it doesn't matter who you are, you know, the rich, the poor, the rich because they're so corrupt and the poor because they're so miserable. Like we should just kill everybody because this is just dumb. Oh, quality. And Mrs. Lovett's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> she is. She does not care. No, she just, nope. she really likes Sweeney Todd. So while discussing how to dispose of Pirelli's body, Mrs. Lovett is suddenly struck by the idea to use the bodies of Todd's victims to make her meat pies, which Todd happily agrees to. And this song is A Little Priest, which was added in as, you know, t- to add some light to it, which is, um, really dark actually because they're pointing out different people in town and being like oh well how about we eat you know a priest or how about we eat a piper and they even do it's a like, job oh, their meat's too lean or it's something too- like that and the piper's like what do you like what do you do if it's too hot and it's like you blow on it because they blow on because they're flutes and stuff it's dumb and <sighs> still funny somehow and really dark because they're just talking about killing people yeah, most of the, <laughs> the humor in this is also backed with, like, terrible things. So if yes. dark humor is not your thing, this might not be... <laughs> you might see these scenes and be like, what is wrong with these people? How do they find this funny? Yeah, yeah. I probably should have given this one a mama warning ahead of time. Not for language. Not for language. I mean, it does cuss pretty good. But because of the rampant murder. <laughs> so... But luckily, Mom already knows this show, so she knows to skip this one. But all the other mamas out there, sorry, I'm only mentioning it now. Oops. Oops. Whoops. Big oops. So (laughs) that pulls us right into intermission. So thoughts, everybody, on Act (laughs) 1. Oh, the show, man. (laughs) Since I've only seen the movie, I'm really curious how stage productions go Mm -hmm. with, like, because in the movie, there's a lot of blood splatter, and I'm curious to see like what the sets look like and all that stuff, but I imagine it's pretty fun. Yeah, and I think it was 
even like in the very very original one it was so over the top bloody like they they went all out like with, drenched like, like drenched in blood and everyone was like you gotta you gotta back that down and sometimes was like no i love it <laughs> so we kept it you and him were probably kindred spirits <laughs> kylie what do you think wow i'm thinking you're thinking yeah. You knew your mission was coming up. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you time to think. I think what I like about the show is like at its basis, the pot the plot is pretty I mean it's pretty basic soap opera like. I mean you've got like the hidden identity, you've got the you know, the daughter with the creepy guy after her. Yeah, the daughter. The other guy that likes her. You can't quite, you know, just go out and get her, like, some obstacles in the way. Right, so I think the... Like being her father. (laughs) Yeah, so when you look at it that way, like, it's pretty simple of a plot line, I think, and, like, the drama and the twists are, you know, almost expected, Um, but then you add all the murder, and... (laughs) And it gives it it just just that, uh... show to a whole new level, and I love it. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, it's definitely like I was saying before. This is just such a unique show. Um, it, yeah, it is very unique. And there's just like unapologetic death. Yes. And just... Oh, they even get like systematic with it later on. Like it's right. It's wild. Mm-hmm. So this is just it's just like his reality is like yes, murder, murder. Cool. But yeah, also imagine like how warped you have to be to get to that like headspace to where it's like that's the only thing you care about. Like he doesn't even care what happens after. Like, yeah, he he's just, like I just murdering. He's just like I'm just gonna kill this judge. I don't care about it? anything else. Yes. Yeah. He doesn't think ahead. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't. Things could have gone a lot differently if he just hadn't started murdering people. True. It's also a fantastic role for Johnny Depp. Oh my okay. gosh! Yeah. He was perfect for this role. I get to be a broody killer the entire time. Sign me up. Yeah, he can sing too. Helen, Helen Helen Carter, Helena Bottom Carter. Bottom Carter. Uh, She was great. Oh yeah, she was perfect as Mrs. Lovett as well. I mean, they always have a really good dynamic together, though. So they've done a lot of stuff together. Yes. So I'm I'm not surprised. Yeah, they're fantastic. And then, of course, the original cast just you know really personified these characters in that specific way for other people to follow behind them. And mm-hmm. this was the first time I listened to the actual original Broadway cast. And I, I really like the entire cast's um, interactions with each other. It seems very um, believable in that aspect. They definitely have a good repertoire, I guess. Mm-hmm. Chemistry. Chemistry. That's better. Okay, Kelly, you you've had time to think. <sighs> I think it's kind of hard for me just because I've never seen the movie. Oh. Kylie. Why are you shocked? It's on I should have watched it today. I was at work. Watch it anyway. <laughs> I mean, it definitely doesn't yeah. feel like a Kylie movie. I mean, that's fair. Thing. It's definitely more of a me thing. Oh. I could just <laughs> tell by the amount of background info you looked up. Yes. It was like three pages for those of you <laughs> listening. Well, I was excited. <laughs> I appreciate Amber's reference to like a soap opera. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think I about think that's that. pretty accurate. Just mm. a lot more murder. Yes. I mean, yeah, pretty much evil twins. every play can be no. broken down into a soap opera, but, <laughs> but this no one. No evil twins. No coming back from the dead with a different face. No waking up from a coma. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a good one. A uh, brain injury. No second mothers, brothers, cousins. No twins with two different fathers. <laughs> or yeah. a lost father. What? Lost, yeah. No Snoop Dogg. He was in a soap opera. Was he really? He was. Oh, so Vince Nichols. Oh. Dean. Yeah, I know that. Let's make sure. <laughs> He, but he, it's different. He, it's Snoop Dogg versus Jensen Ackles. He's in an entire. <laughs> yeah. He's in his own soap opera. It just involves angels and demons. Yeah, that's a right. opera with murder. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm rewatching. Hell yeah. Anyway, back to Sweeney Todd. 
Yeah. Okay, back to the other murder. So yeah, it's, uh, it's I, I really enjoy it. And the first act definitely sets you up for, oh shit, it's about to go wild. Like it, it ends with, huh, cannibalism is pretty lucrative. And you know, both of these main characters don't really care about anything, so. Yeah, Mrs. Yeah, Lemon's like, I can make some money. Todd's like, I can get rid of some bodies. Cool. Partnership. Yeah. And I think she mentions in the song that if one cat can give her nine pies, imagine how much a human could give her. So. <laughs> a lot. It's interesting. Alright, anyone else have any comments on the... Any other comments on Act 1? No? Nah. Alright. So, Kylie, give us our theater fact. I picked this one out because it's kind of uh, fits with the, the macabre element. Alrighty. So, give the director a graveyard bouquet. When a theater production closes, it is considered good luck to give the director a bouquet of flowers stolen from a graveyard. Mm. What? Maca- yeah. This macabre symbolic gesture signifies the end of a production, its death. Historically, actors did not make a lot of money, so one might assume that this is an inexpensive way to say thank you to their director while buttering him up for the next round of auditions. Yeah. So. Kind of a jerk thing, but okay. Yeah. In my mind, they're just giving them a bouquet of dead flowers. That's what and I, I thought when I said, "Yeah, yeah." The, like the, the first line, that's what I thought it meant too. Is like, "Oh, they give him some dead flowers," because that's also like a symbolic of the end of the show. But then I read it and I was like, "Oh, they did what now?" <laughs> that's creepy. They took from someone. Yeah, I, I would never have imagined giving a director a stolen bouquet of nope. flowers from a dead person. That's how you get haunted. Yeah, that's how you get haunted. True. But yeah, so that was our theater fact. Thank you, Kylie. A little different one there. Oh, yes. So are we all ready to hop into Act 2? Yep. (sighs) Several weeks later, Mrs. Lovett's Pie Shop has become successful, drawing in lots of business, and they have hired Toby as a waiter. And this song is God That's Good. So it's literally these people being like, these pies are delicious. Give us more pies. More pies. Give us more pies. And so to go into the effect, you know, the, the supply and demand, Todd has acquired a special barber's chair that allows him to send bodies down a chute into the pie shop's basement bakehouse. So it's a really neat design. You slits their throats, push the lever, and they just go swoop right down into the basement. And Todd casually just slits his customers' throats while despairing over of ever seeing Joanna while Anthony searches London for her. And this is uh, Joanna Quartet. So he's just going through the motions of killing people and being like, will I ever find my daughter or a slice? Will she even recognize me? Slice. <laughs> it's very nonchalant. Yeah. Yep. And kind of creepy. But yeah. Anthony does eventually find Joanna and she has been locked away in a private lunatic asylum. And Beetle almost has him arrested, but uh, he escapes just in time. And then after a hard day of work, Todd remains fixated on revenge while Mrs. Lovett dreams of the future, which happens to be a seaside retirement for them both. And in the movie, it also includes Toby, which is adorable. The song is By the Sea. And so she's just singing about like, oh, we can just get this beautiful little cottage and it'll be fantastic and it'll be so nice. And he's just like, "Mm mm-hmm, yep, got it. Sure. He's basically just just appeasing her so she'll like keep doing. <laughs> stop talking. Yes. Please. Please stop talking. Yeah, he very much doesn't care, and she's way into him, so Yeah. He just wants the revenge. Kinda I don't know, like foreshadow the not foreshadow, but like hinted at that she's been into him For a long time. For like since the beginning. Like before mm-hmm. he, he left. Yeah. So yeah, it's their relationship is very one-sided, for sure. So Anthony arrives and begs Todd for help freeing Joanna, telling him, you know, where he found her. And Todd immediately strikes up this idea that Anthony needs to pose as a wig maker, because wig makers in that time would get fresh hair from the criminally insane or inmates, which is gross. 
Yep. And so Anthony's going to pose as this wig maker, intent on purchasing inmates' hair. And so he's going about, like, you have to talk about specific color, and you have to talk about, you know, texture. You have to go through all these sequences so they don't suspect you. And the song is Wig Maker Sequence and The Ballad of Sweeney Todd Reprise 4. <laughs> they do that so one a lot. So many reprises. There's a, there's a lot of reprises in this one. However, once Anthony leaves... Todd sends a letter to the judge telling him that Anthony will bring Joanna to his shop just after dark and Todd will hand her over. The song is The Letter. So there's some seeming fuckery afoot. In the pie shop, Toby reveals he has his reservations about Todd, which shows that he's a little more attentive than people give him credit for. Mm -hmm. And he tells Mrs. Lovett that he will always protect her you know, from anything or anyone. And this song is Not While I'm Around. And this song is both very sweet and very sad in a way. Because Toby's like, listen, Mr. Todd's taken advantage of you. I don't know how, but I can, you know, feel like, you know, this difference. But if you say the word, like, I will protect you. And she's like, yeah, no, no I'll, I'll protect you too. Like, you know, they have a very mother-son kind of relationship. But while they're talking, Toby discovers Pirelli's coin purse and recognizes it because he used to work with him. But Mrs. Lovett distracts him by showing him the bakehouse in the basement and showing him how to work the meat grinder. It's like, oh, you can do this and this is how we do the thing. And I really want you to help more in the shop. And so she locks him in there. He doesn't notice that he's locked in, but she's like, just keep doing the meat grinder. And then she locks him in there because he knows too much. He knows too much. And then coming back up, she encounters Beetle, who has arrived to investigate their bake shop. The neighbors have been complaining about the strange smoke and smell from the pie shop's chimney. So he's just uh, taking a look around. So she stalls him by singing singing with him. And this song is called Parlor Songs. And it's literally just them singing nonsense tunes back and forth. And and she's like, how many of these are there? And, but when is Mr. Tar going to be here? And then Sweeney Todd eventually does return and stops this. And so Todd offers him a free shave and takes him upstairs. And it's like, yeah, let's, you know, take care of this before we before we go check out, you know, the, the chimney problem. And Mrs. Lovett loudly plays her harmonium to cover up Beetle's screams as Todd kills him. Because you gotta get that yay. revenge. So yay, one of them down. Woo! Woo! Meanwhile, in the basement, Toby is eating a pie and discovers hair and fingernails in it gross I mean, yep gross I'm surprised no one has had that issue before but all right and so he's just confused and grossed out and this is just before beetle's body falls down the chute oh which scares the heck out of him obviously so he flees into london sewers which is underneath the bake shop as a lot of those buildings were built so he immediately just runs mrs lovett informs todd that Toby knows their secret and unfortunately must be dealt with because she picks, dun, dun, dun. you know, obviously Sweeney Todd over this kid, which is unfortunate. Anthony then arrives at the asylum to rescue Johanna, but is exposed when she recognizes him. <gasps> Whoops. He draws a pistol, but can't bring himself to shoot the corrupt asylum owner. So Johanna takes the gun and does it for him. She ain't taking no crap. Which I think is because like all these inmates have been abused for sure. Yeah. As the two flee, the asylum's freed inmates prophesy, sure, the end of the world. While Todd and Miss Lovett hunt through the sewers to find Toby, the beggar woman fears what has become of Beetle because he entered and never exited. Which, I mean, how did no one notice this before? Right. Because, like, if I was hanging and my friend was like, dude, I'm going to go get a shave. I'll see you later. And I was like, all right, dude. And then he just never, never came back. Never came back. Yeah. Well, I, I would be very concerned. I, th I thought... <laughs> They explained it's like the people that they were practicing on were people that like didn't have families and yeah. I mean they're pick, they're killing yeah. the right people, but still like some people do know. No some one noticed. I don't know. Anyway, so this is the song "City of Fire" slash "Searching," and this one's also like super creepy because Mrs. Lovett is singing the you know no one's gonna hurt you not while I'm around like down in the sewers trying to lure Toby out and it's just like. My dude. <laughs> I'm gonna hurt you. Yeah. So Anthony and Joanna, who is now disguised as a sailor, they arrive at Todd's empty shop. 
Anthony goes to get a coach after he and Joanna reaffirm their love in the song Ah Miss Reprise. Because there's time for that, you know. Again, a lot of reprises here. <laughs> Joanna hears the beggar woman enter, so she hides in the trunk in the barbershop, which previously held the dead body. Yeah, which, think about that for a second. Gross. Gross. <laughs> the beggar woman seems to recognize the room. Little, uh, <laughs> there. Uh-huh. <laughs> Todd enters and tries to get the woman to leave, and she again seems to recognize him. So we have the song Beggar Woman's Lullaby. Again, we're starting to get a bit of, like, uh-huh. interesting here. What's going on? Who knows? Again, we got that soap opera drama. Yes. Gr- you know, growing here. Uh, Todd hears the judge outside, and this makes Todd frantic, so he hastily kills the beggar woman, sending her body down the chute just before the judge bursts in. <laughs> or beggar woman. <laughs> Todd assures the judge that Joanna is on her way and is repentant and is ready to be with him. Gross. Todd then sues the judge with another conversation on women and gets him into the chair. He alludes to their fellow tastes, in women at least, and the judge finally recognizes him as Benjamin Barker. Right before he slashes his throat and sends him down the chute in the judge's return. Be gone. Such a like dramatic moment. He's like, Benjamin Barker. So intense. It's great. Or in the movie, Benjamin Barker. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Fantastic. Todd, you know, remembers that Toby is still a thing. Mm -hmm. Still got that drama happening. So he starts to leave. But then he realizes he left his razor behind, which, remember, it's a part of him and he can't leave it behind. Mm -hmm. And so he goes back to get it while Joanna is just exiting the trunk, horrified. She just saw a dude get murdered. Doesn't recognize her through her disguise, because of course not. (laughs) Attempts to kill her, but is distracted by Miss Lovett screaming, allowing Joanna to escape. So yeah, and and then the movie, he actually stops himself from killing her him so he didn't know who it was and it's an interesting moment where he actually shows sympathy for like two seconds he kind of like realizes the monster that he's is yeah he's like now oh, that, like his yeah. revenge is kind of done yeah it's 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 an interesting development there so in the basement the reason why miss lovett screamed is because she was trying to get away from the still alive judge who was like clawing at her dress like you know, bleeding out like just trying to grab onto any form of life, you know, how you do. Uh, <laughs> I don't do. I don't do, yeah. I don't want to. <laughs> and so she screams, obviously. And once the judge actually dies, she notices the beggar woman's body in the pile. And she's like, oh, geez, I gotta, I'm gonna go burn this. So she starts to drag the woman into the oven. Todd arrives, drawn by the scream, of course. And Mrs. Lovett is attempting to get him away from the body. She's like, I'll just, you know, let me just burn this real quick and we'll get back to the Toby thing. It's fine. And he's like, why are you being so weird? And he gets a really good look at the beggar woman's face for the first time. Took long enough. Right? I know. Like, rude. And realizes that it was his wife, Lucy, the whole time. And he is the one that killed her. Yep. He finally gets into this point was like, I am a monster. I didn't stop to think that my the love of my life could actually still be around. And so he immediately turns on Mrs. Lovett because, you know, she said that, you know, that his wife poisoned herself. So he accuses her of lying to him as she had known that Lucy was alive the whole time. But Mrs. Lovett defends herself by saying she never said Lucy was dead, just that she had poisoned herself. Which she had. Which is fair. Yeah, she had poisoned herself. It didn't succeed in killing her, but it made her go insane. And so she lost, like, who she was. So it, so she turned into this helpless beggar woman. So Miss Love was like, I didn't lie to you. You know, she is still alive, but obviously she's not herself. And I knew you wouldn't want that. And I'd be a better wife to you anyway. I've loved you this entire time. You know, we should have been together in the first place. And. So she just finally reveals all of her love to him and stuff. And so Todd feigns forgiveness and dances with Mrs. Lovett. And is like, yeah, you're right. You know, we have this whole future ahead of us. And then he yeets her into an oven. Yeah. Burning her alive. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's the poetic ending. 
Yeah. So he's like, yeah, let's just dance and just whoop. Shoves her in there. Oh, shoot. Oh, darn. Yeah. So full of despair and in shock. Obviously, Todd's gone through a lot today. He cradles his dead Lucy and does not notice that Toby, now fully insane and babbling nursery rhymes to himself, which is super creepy on the recording, by the Mm -hmm. way. But he sneaks up behind Todd and grabs his fallen razor and slits his throat. So the murderer got killed the same way as all of his victims did. So as he kind of wanted to die at that point, though. Yeah, he definitely so. did. Mm-hmm. I don't think he wanted to fight it. I think he probably would have killed himself. Mm-hmm. But as Todd falls dead and Toby drops the razor, Anthony, Joanna, and some others break into the bakehouse and you know see all this horror. And Toby, not noticing them because he is just fully gone at this point, begins just turning the meat grinder, singing Mrs. Lovett's previous instructions to him, just. Because that's like the last soothing memory he has. And this song is final scene. So it everything <laughs> explodes all at once. Yep. Mm-hmm. The story actually ends with an epilogue of the ensemble cast. And they are soon joined by a risen Todd and Mrs. Lovett, who all sing a reprise of The Ballad of Sweeney Todd. I think that's number like six now. <laughs> yep. But they warn against revenge while also admitting that, you know, everyone does it. Everyone has their own revenge that they're going for and they get blinded by it. And they tear off their costumes and exit. So they're throwing off this whole facade of, you know, being in this show. And Todd gives one last long sneer at the audience before vanishing. And that wraps up Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street. He was a demon. Moida, moida. All the moida. So yeah, what do you guys think? Besides the like two lovebirds and the kid, like everybody's kind of like terrible mm-hmm. in this. <laughs> Very much so. Like most of your main characters are bad people. <laughs> Even Sweeney Todd's like, yeah, everyone's terrible. But he admits it too. Like, oh yeah, he's like, I'm not a good person. <laughs> yeah, I am doing this for all the bad reasons, and I don't care. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. very upfront about it. It's strange that this became popular. Yes. Given some audiences. Like, yes. being super against this stuff. But it's fun. Yeah, and also, like, when the original stories were written, like the, the Strings of Pearls, it was definitely in the time period where this was, you know, super exciting. You could, like, watch this killer go through the processes of, you know, old-time London, so it gave Londoners something to kind of, like, follow along so that it was an evil they could pay attention to, as opposed to, like, the evil that was lurking around in every alley at the time. Yeah. Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jack the Ripper was not that far off from that point. And, yeah. <laughs> At least this was a monster for mostly men. True. Instead of, like, a w- women being terrorized for the entire show. Yeah, for once. Goodness gracious. Good stuff, though. I, I liked it a lot. Might watch the movie. Yeah, yeah, Kylie, since you're the only one that hasn't, like, seen any of it, how, how do you feel about this whole story? I will say it's probably the strangest thing I've heard, hmm. and I've read a lot. <laughs> That's true. Yep. So it's probably number one for the strangest. But enjoyable strange? I think it could be. Have you listened to the the track? Not yet. Oh, I I would rec- recommend listening to it. Like I said, not you're not going to be you know busting these out on the road trips or anything, but mm-hmm. it's definitely very mood setting. Yes, uh, album. I tried looking it up, but it's not on any streaming services, so we can't watch it. The movie? Mm-hmm. It was on Netflix not that long ago. Not there anymore. Dang it. All right, sorry yep. out there, guys. I lied to you. It was on Netflix Liar! like two months ago, but it's great. It'll it'll come back. It's like it's been on and off there for a while, but I do recommend watching it. Johnny Depp brings just this insanity to this character, while also maintaining that like composure needed to do this kind of revenge. He he pulls off the devoid of emotion very well. Yes, 
Absolutely. But yeah, more thoughts on this? I think you're very biased on your opinion. I really like this one. <laughs> but that's, Such spook. it's still pretty good. Very good. It, it is very better. good. I'm in the same boat as Bat. I've never seen this, like, the live show, but I have seen the movie several times and I love it, so. Right. This is just a great musical. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure we could probably find a re- the that recording that they did somewhere online. We'll have to check that they out. They actually are on Amazon. Oh, all right. We'll have to do a movie night. Because I went looking for it. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I was waiting for you to be like, I got this one on DVD. I actually do not have this one on DVD, surprisingly. You failed us. Uh, I know, one but job. the 1982 version with Angela Lansbury is on Netflix. Nope, not Netflix. I misspoke. Uh, Amazon. Uh, yeah, I would like to see that one. The Tale of Sweeney Todd, starring Ben Kingsley, mm. is on Netflix. Nope. Amazon? <laughs> Amber. <laughs> Fuck. Get your fine. facts straight. <laughs> there it is. Sweeney Todd, the director's cut, starring Ray Winstone, is on... Oh, that's currently unavailable. Well, never mind. Stop lying to us. Anyway. So there's there's a couple things you can check out. There's a graphic novel. I gotta check that which out. Which is on Amazon. Of course it is. It's Amazon. And of course, like, the uh, audio soundtracks are on Amazon as well. Yes. But all of it is up on uh, Spotify for free, if you want to give it a go. Uh, again, we are linking it in our show notes. So yeah, so all of that is in our show notes, so you don't have to go find it, luckily. But I would definitely give this one a listen. And make your own judgment on it, because it is it is very weird. It is very, it's a very specific show. You go into it knowing it's going to be this gory macabre story of revenge so just you know yes as long as you go in there knowing that you, it's very enjoyable if you like dark humor it's right up your alley yes true maybe don't watch with your parents don't no. watch with your parents unless Meg, they Meg like dark humor one. yeah <laughs> all right i think that will wrap up this episode then as always if you could please you know Leave us a review or subscribe anywhere you listen to your podcasts. You can leave a review and like a five star rating. Hit that bell. I don't think that it's not YouTube. No, but you can hit subscribe. Click that bell for notification. Yes. So you can you can rate us on Apple. Any of any and all reviews would be appreciated. That's how we get boosted up in the numbers, which is super cool. And if you would like to just say hello. Uh, you can reach us at saveMeAnIsleSeat at gmail.com, or you can tweet us at SaveAnIsleSeat on Twitter. Oh, also, so we do, if we do have a Patreon, we don't push it too terribly much, just because I think most of the time we forget to do it. <laughs> but we we do have a Oops. Patreon, and you can find us under SaveMeAnIsleSeat on there as well. So you can get your episodes like a day early. We have a lot of bonus content on there, like you can. Here are bloopers, which is amazing. We just put those out. And unedited <laughs> edited, uh, episodes, which includes, you know, things from, like, pets and roommates and, you know, random Me barking cursing. dogs. Yeah, it's there's a lot going on there. So definitely check that out. We also did just do a bonus episode with the one, the only, the mama, who we reference a lot <laughs> on this show. And she actually does an episode with us, and that is up on our Patreon. We go over Annie Get Your Gun, which is a fantastic musical. Also, just to clarify things, this is Katie's mom. Oh, yeah. She has adopted all of us as her children. Yes. yes. Not like... Not legally, actually, but yeah. Actually. But also, <laughs> like, actually. So Pretty much if fine. you have a conversation with her and you're friends with us, you are one of her kids. So Yes. She has many... She does have many kids. So the mama is my actual mother, and uh, she we go into her theater background because she's the reason why I got into theater and why we were able to see multiple shows at the Muni through the summers. So definitely check out that interview slash episode up on our Patreon. That'll be up there soon. And just keep your eye out for more bonus content uh, there as well. And our Twitter is always active. I know Amber's always uh on the the musical scene so give us yes. a peek there and i hope, think that's hope you like hashtags hope you like hashtags 
It was a little hashtag crazy. I like hashtags. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think that's enough with the, the self-promotion. We appreciate you guys very much as always. We wouldn't have the show. I mean, we would have the show anyway, but we really appreciate the support that we get and we love doing it for ourselves and for you. So it's a great time all around. All right, guys, we will catch you on the next episode. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Don't make meat pies out of anyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Save Me an Aisle Seat. You can find more episodes and shows similar to this at www.ragtagnetwork.com. Follow us on Twitter at Save an Aisle Seat. We make this show just for the fun of it, but if you would like to support what we do, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash save me an aisle seat. This episode was brought to you by the Ragtag Network.